an army chaplain. My soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast. I'm glad you're here today. We're going to look at the potter and clay in um, Jeremiah. And we're also going to have a little meditation on Psalm 109. You may want to read it prior as I didn't record that. Uh, It was me chanting it this morning. Psalm 109 is the psalm with a lot of curses in it. And some of our listeners this morning um, had some reflections on that. And we talked about that. We will talk about that as well. A reading from the book of Jeremiah. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, and it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck it up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now therefore go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one to his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Lord, Lord. Thanks be to God. Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. This uh, classic text in Jeremiah is just uh, formative in so many ways, not the least of which is the founding of the potter's house, I believe. Isn't that T.D. Jake's church name? Um, A famous American preacher and pastor. I think that's the potter's house. And it is a reference to this text in Jeremiah 18. St. Paul also quotes Jeremiah in Romans when he talks about the doctrine of predestination and election in Christ of the people of God. So this is a very formative and very visual illustration of how God works in the world. It's an illustration, so it's not perfect. Uh, It's a metaphor. Metaphors and illustrations do not capture the entire truth of everything. 
we say we use them all the time in this way. We don't mean that when I say I feel like I'm starving, I'm starving. Let's go get some food. Um, we all know that, that, that I'm not literally starving. I'm really hungry, really hangry. Um, or an illustration of I feel really wrung out today. We all know that's a metaphor for a washcloth or something that's being wrung and squeezed and the water from the washcloth is dripping on the ground and that's how we feel. When Bilbo Baggins says, I feel like butter spread over too much bread, he um, doesn't mean that, that that metaphor captures every part of his life or everything about his experience. Um, but that's how he feels. We speak this way all the time. And this metaphor, this illustration of how God works is, is um, an insight into the way God is working with Jerusalem, the way God is working with Jeremiah. There did exist things that would probably be called factories back in the ancient world of Jeremiah in large cities like Jerusalem and other large cities, there would be uh, people employed to make pottery. Pottery, unlike in our world, pottery um, in our world is, is a decorative craft item that we'll see in uh, shops. But ultimately, pottery was a very much a day-to-day -day need uh, and necessity for lots of things fired in kilns and shaped from, from the dirt of the ground. Uh, pottery, with all its manifestations, was, was uh, just very common in, in all times and places in our world, but especially in Jeremiah's. If you go to Israel and you look at the museums, maybe it's just me, but I was struck by how many um, of the pottery examples that are displayed are beer mugs, uh, beer mugs are very common in, in the world of Jeremiah, um, this archaeological period stretching back even further. You, you know it's a beer mug by, uh, it's like a jar the size of maybe a pint, and it has a sieve or a little, a little plate of clay with holes in it to strain out the uh, plants that are in there, <laughs> whatever. They didn't have hops back then in beer making. They had uh, wheat and other grains that they use for making beer. And that always start, struck out, uh, stuck out to me as uh, one of the main, um, main surviving pieces of pottery from that time period. But they're making all kinds of things out of, with pottery. And he goes down to the potter's house. Um, there were factories that where people manufactured things in larger quantities with a crew of workers, but it's all handmade. That is the root of the word manufacture, uh, to make something with your hands. Now the word manufacture means some sort of industrialized machine process. Um, and yet that's really the root of the word to manufacture. And here he goes down to the potter's house. Um, he is invited by God, by the Lord to come down to the potter's house. Um, and so he can hear these words. So he goes down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at the potter's wheel. You've all seen this in movies, TV, and maybe in real life, a potter's wheel that spins and the clay is shaped on that wheel. It's a creative process that sort of comes and goes. It, um, you know, 
not everything turns out the way the potter wants it to. And that is what uh, Jeremiah observes in the potter's house. Um, it gets reworked. It gets spoiled in the potter's hand, the clay, reworked into another vessel, uh, as seems good for him. The potter does whatever the potter wants with that clay. Now, there is a goal in mind of making pottery. That's the goal for the potter. Um, But ultimately, how that is done and with what materials is done is up to the potter. He's the one that's working the clay. And this illustration is given of God's control over history that so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster I intended to bring upon it. So there's this back and forth of, uh, of the God as the potter speaking about how God works with different nations. They repent. Uh, there's no judgment if they don't repent, there's judgment. And it is like that potter reworking the clay on the wheel. And then, then, the, um, and then it gets a little comedic um, in the sense of, you know, can the clay say to the potter, I don't like the way you're making that, the way you're making me. Um, and that is the illustration that St. Paul brings up from this text. Um, But this pottery theme keeps going for the next couple uh, chapters. This is how this theme is is, uh, used by Jeremiah to point out uh, that ultimately our lives are in God's hands, Um, that we are moved and shaped by God, but God is constantly changing God's mind. That's what God says. I rework the pottery. I rework the clay constantly moving and shaping it. And so I think it's better than to see this as a um, as some sort of capricious, uh, you know, just sort of whimsical or gut reaction of God to make our lives harder or more difficult. Ultimately, this is the craftsmanship of God being shown, that God really does know the kind of pottery God wants to make and is working through human lives and stories to to craft that in us. And we are part of that story. Um, It is hard sometimes to to believe this when it feels like life is chaotic and uncertain. We don't really know how things are going to work out. And faith, uh, the faith that God gives us, not really faith we can conjure up ourselves, but the faith in God is that God is going to shape our lives and the lives of those around us and the lives of our community and the lives of our nation in a way that ultimately produces the kind of pottery that God wants to make, which is good. God's creative work is always good. In the story of in Genesis, and God saw all that God had made, and behold, God said it was good. And we have to trust God for that. Uh, Certainly, the potter here tells Jeremiah that I am devising a plan against you, shaping evil against you on the wheel. I am the potter doing, creating an evil pottery against you. Um, And that's why you have to follow God, is that if we depart from the covenant, there will be this uh, shaping of evil against us. That's what the potter says. 
And, and it's, it might be easy to see that as um, somehow that God is, um, God is evil. God is destructive. God is hurting us. And it often feels like that to the, to the potter, to the pottery, um, to the clay. But ultimately, God's goodness is the, the creative force that is being used. But it still isn't easy. Jeremiah makes it very clear that this is not easy. This is difficult, that we are um, uncertain about what God is doing in the world many times. Just as if you look at a potter, I remember seeing a potter work um, to try to make a handle, and I couldn't tell what he was doing for a long time. Um, there's mud, and there's, he's adding water, and adding clay, and adding water, and spinning it around, and it's really confusing. Um, you might even say dizzying. As the wheel spins, uh, if you're on that wheel and it's spinning, you get really dizzy, even if you're clay. And what is the potter doing? What is he making? And then suddenly he takes that piece of pottery and sticks it on the side of another piece of pottery. And you're like, oh, that's a handle. Oh, that's what's going on here. I thought he was making a snake. Um, We who observe potters uh, really don't know what they're doing. Um, some things are obvious, some things are not. And, and uh, it seems like the larger the pottery, the larger the piece of clay that the potter works with, the more uncertain the outcome is. Um, the more, uh, I had a, I, this is good, at, uh, maybe a life lesson for anyone here that's doing any job interviews in the future. Uh, when I did a job interview for a youth minister and um I was meeting with one of the pastors at this this pretty big church, and uh, I went into his office, and he had these giant like pottery vessels, like clay glazed clay um, jugs. They were probably like two feet high. They're really big, really big and wide, and just boxy, like these big like boxes of clay. And I looked at him. I said, and I I was like twenty something, you know, and I just blurted out like. Oh, these are really weird," I said, and um, and he said, "Oh, that was like the summation of my entire like pottery making career. Like this is like the best piece of pottery I've ever produced." Like he <laughs> said something like that along those lines, and I felt really stupid for for my just blurting out the first thought that came to my mind, how weird they were, um, when in fact they were the subject of a, a great deal of expertise and creation. Um, I've done that a lot in my life, I think. So take a life lesson for me. And and if you see something weird in somebody's office, that you don't know what it is or what it means, don't say anything until you're really sure that they think it's silly or they think it's weird. And then you can say it. But um, I'll never forget that. But that is how the, the big pieces of pottery are harder to make. And so this nation of Israel that God is working with in the book of Jeremiah and, and the kingdom of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all these big, big moving pieces um, are going to require a very different kind of pottery. God is not making curio objects. God is not making little, tiny little things, uh, children's toys or something. God is making pottery and it's big and it's going to be useful in the world going to bless the world. Um, Without this pottery, there is no water, really. There's no 
reliable way to eat, drink, or cook. This is a major part of, of the life of God's people. And God is doing that. Um, there's some great songs about this that you can listen to online. But ultimately, uh, God is working good things. And the process is messy. And you are part of that process. And I'm part of that process. So take heart. The potter is still working. Amen. Psalm 109 uh, that many of you commented on in the chat today. Um, Psalm 109 is quoted in the New Testament in one very particular place in the book of Acts where the apostles meet to decide who will replace Judas. And it is this psalm that they, they quote about Judas. Let his days be few and let another take his office. Um, this is one of the imprecatory psalms or cursing psalms in the Bible. Uh, it is, uh, there is a content warning given to us in the way it's printed in the prayer book um, that starting at verse end of verse 4 and beginning of verse 5, uh, sometimes those are admitted, omitted. We don't read this one on Sunday morning ever. Um, and yet, uh, the psalmist, uh, this is attributed to David, the psalmist, um, king of Israel, not sure when he writes it or when it happens. Um, all the superscriptions in the Psalms those little attributions or who wrote them or something are, um, they are all um, added probably later than the actual parts of the, uh, the actual Psalms themselves. The Masoretes, who were scribes and scholars, added those later, although they are very ancient and they are in the original texts of scripture that we have. So they are both like, I think, reliable and trustworthy, but also not as old as the Psalms themselves. So there's always a little uncertainty about who wrote what Psalm. But this one is attributed to David. So what we know of David's life, um, we know that he faced all sorts of things like contained in this Psalm. I think of Doeg the Edomite, who um, when he's down, kicks him when he's down. I think of other times with his son Absalom's rebellion um, after the, the sexual assault on his daughter. Um, a number of places in David's life where he could have written this about the things that have happened. And yet this is about, ultimately, about betrayal. And uh, despite of my love, they accuse me. Um, there are a number of betrayals in the Psalms that are mentioned, and the strongest emotions come out um, for them. The The section that's sometimes admitted that we read that generated the, the commentary in, in the chat, which is really helpful, um, has this section of curses that are pretty brutal. Um, and then it shifts back again to what this person has done, that they have been an attacker of the poor and needy. Um, they have done all sorts of things to vulnerable people. So it's not just that the, the psalmist himself or themselves is being slandered and accused. There is this wider um, havoc that has been wreaked by this person who is uh, being cursed. Um, we read this from a place of power and prestige in many ways when we read the Bible from our own, you know, place of, in life, wherever that might be. 
And uh, we really have to read it from the other side, from the side of the oppressed. Reading this as a reaction to a traumatic event might be a better way to read these psalms in that when we have these things happen to us, strong emotions come out and God can handle it. God can handle our curses. God can handle our anger. That in fact, our anger at, at these events is righteous anger to feel hurt and betrayed and angry. Those are really good things. And they're recorded here so that we can know that that's the case. Um, when it comes to um, when it comes to the person of Judas in the in the New Testament, um, and the psalm being applied by the apostles to him, um, they they felt that as he betrayed Jesus, that they were betrayed. This one who they had trusted and walked with them for those number of years had, in fact, done the very opposite of what they had all promised to do. So this um this psalm st- is here in our Psalter uh, for. Reasons, many reasons. Uh, there's some, like the New Revised Standard Version, has tried to put these curses in the mouth of David's accusers, where he says, they are saying about me all these things. And that may be true, if that helps someone understand the psalm, that might be good. Um, to me, that is not how the psalm, at its plainest sense, goes, but I can see why that might be a compelling reason to switch the voice there to these, the accusers are saying these kinds of things. But the reality is, is that human emotions are real and our feelings are real and God can handle them. God can listen to them. Ultimately, this is a prayer. And I, you know, whether Jesus would have prayed this Psalm or not, his apostles certainly did. Um, And, you know, I don't know, you'll have to figure that one out on your own. We, we often ascribe to God and Jesus, not the Holy Spirit as much, uh, emotions that they have not taken on for themselves. When we read Holy Scripture, I'm always struck by the, by the, the constant theme or absence of a theme that God is trying to apologize for things. Um, there's not a lot of that in Holy Scripture, where the whole point is to sort of make this, these texts palatable for a contemporary audience. That is not the overwhelming theme of Scripture. Scripture is presented to us as it is, without a lot of excusing and um, mitigating factors. Now, we do that in our interpretive tradition and in our communities, for sure. But um, I think that uh, to know God and to know God through Scripture is to know God as God is. And that potter and clay illustration from earlier may be a way of seeing some insight into that, that um, a God who cannot work the potter's wheel is not really much of a God um, and maybe not worthy of trust. Although that means we somehow have to handle all that comes to us in that. Job says that, shall I only receive good from the Lord? Am I only supposed to receive good from the Lord? And, And I have for a long time. Why not the other stuff, too? Um, ultimately, this is the, what it means to be human, is to be frustrated and angry and pissed and all sorts of other um, human emotions when we, are, when we experience this kind of suffering. And so I encourage you to, to take those feelings and give them to God, as the psalmist does. Give them to God. 
And you'll notice that it's not just the curses. There is a framework to it that, um, that shows the, really why this is happening. Um, and ultimately, um, it is all given to God. So God can handle these strong feelings.